0: Today's episode is sponsored by the New Zealand Homeopathic Society. They're a charitable organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting the growth of homeopathy in New Zealand. You can become a member and receive amazing benefits, such as access to an online introduction to homeopathy course for beginners from the College of Natural Health and Homeopathy. You'll also have access to the members-only section of their website where you'll find past journals and articles to download or browse. And you'll receive their quarterly newsletter by email, as well as a variety of articles on homeopathy, up-to-date information on homeopathic news, tips on how to use remedies for common ailments and upcoming events. Plus, you'll receive 10% discount on remedies purchased from supporting pharmacies, Similimum and Celine Homeopathics. And if you're a book lover like me, be sure to check out their online bookshop. It is amazing. To become a member of the New Zealand Homeopathic Society or to purchase some of their books, visit www.homeopathy.ac.nz. That's homeopathy.ac.nz. Membership is currently only available to people living in New Zealand. Today, we speak with homeopath Rukmini Kulkarni, who has trained with the International Academy of Classical Homeopathy. We are going to be talking about a topic that's very close to my heart. It's all about poop. <laughs> now for the kiddies listening to uh, this podcast along with the parents perhaps, I'm sure you're going to love this episode. Who doesn't like some good potty talk? But in all seriousness uh, it is so incredibly important to have a daily bowel motion and it's something that with conventional uh, medicine is, obvi- is sometimes not focused on quite as much. So this is really just such a frank discussion of the importance of a daily bowel motion. Now Rukmini practices via Skype or Zoom and has treated clients from all around the world and yes she has a special interest in especially constipation and any issues relating to this she's also trained with ton jansen on homeopathic (laughs) detox therapy and she's currently training with mike andrews to be able to treat complex uh, cases of autism especially when there's impaired gut pathology So prior to studying homeopathy, Rukmini worked for 10 years in the financial sector in India, UK and Hong Kong and hung up her corporate boots after homeopathy and motherhood beckoned. She currently lives in Taipei in Taiwan with her scientist husband and her three-year-old daughter and you can find her on her Facebook page Homeopathy with Rukmini or email her at rookmini.homeopathy at gmail.com or check the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we get to chat with the lovely Rukmini Kulkarni, all the way from Taiwan. Welcome, Rukmini. Hi, and ni Ah, I think you're actually our first guest on the show from Taiwan. So
1: this is very exciting. (laughs) Thank you so much. Homeopathy is uh, not very popular yet in Taiwan. There are very few practicing homeopaths here and we don't have a pharmacy yet here. So Ah. um, yes, it's a little different.
0: Well, they're very lucky to have you there and I'm sure you're going to change things there.
1: (laughs) Uh (laughs) Let's hope so. Can you tell us, Rukmini, how did you first get introduced to homeopathy? Um, I am an Indian. So for me, homeopathy is not a new modality. It's one of the most recognized modalities in India. Back when I was a child, I used to have this chronic throat infections and fevers. And my mom decided at one point that enough is enough and she should try another modality to seek healing. And that's when she sought out a homeopathic doctor. And we've used homeopathy since my childhood for all the childhood illnesses that uh, have come up, whether it is chickenpox or measles or throat uh, infections or fevers, all of it was all resolved with homeopathy. And in fact, when my brother was born uh, six years after me, he did not get a single antibiotic in his life till date. So that's why I think I was very privileged to be introduced to homeopathy since my childhood. But uh, what happened then was I uh, changed tracks and my education was in the field of finance. And I kind of forgot about homeopathy for a while. But when I decided to be a mom and come to Taiwan, where homeopathy is not so popular, That's when I started to, you know, research my options about what can be done. How can I bring up my child in a healthy way? So that is when I decided to study homeopathy formally with International Academy of Classical Homeopathy. And that's how the whole process of homeopathy training and studying and working with people began for me.
0: Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And homeopathy is like a best friend. It doesn't matter if you haven't spoken in a few years When you see each other again, you're best friends again. Yes, absolutely.
1: Uh, In fact, in in my case, I would kind of dip my toes in uh, homeopathy on and off because I was introduced to these Materia Medica pictures by David Lilly. And I was so absolutely fascinated with the way he would bring in, you know, Greek mythology and psychology into the whole picture. And I was like, oh, why am I not studying this all through my education? You know, I was like, why didn't I get introduced to this before? And then when I did, I I think it was a big, you know, game changer for me because then you don't stop learning, you don't stop studying. That's Absolutely. how the process goes on.
0: Um, he's a great writer. I'll um, I was actually le- reading some old Somalia magazines, which is the hmm. um, homeopathic uh, journal that they put out here in Australia, but was written by him and it was on lacaninum and lupinum. And it's like, wow, it's he just really brings the picture alive. So Absolutely. yeah, that was wonderful. Now, Rukmini, you are talking about a topic today that I am so excited about. It's something that does not get spoken about enough, but it is one of the most incredibly important things in our health. And that is Poo. So (laughs) there is
1: this joke
0: in homeopathy where, you know, they'll say, you know, you go to the homeopath with a cut in your finger, and the first question they ask you is, How are your bowel motions? (laughs) But really, poop is seriously important. And I am constantly shocked by the amount of my clients that come in and see me, and I ask them, What are your bowel motions like? And they say, They go once a week. And I'm like, How, you know, that's probably your problem in the first place is if you are not having a daily bowel motion, we need to fix that because stuff comes in, stuff needs to go out. And the amount of people that think it's normal to not have a daily bowel motion, but seriously, I can go on and on and on about this, but you are (laughs) actually the expert on the show. So I'm going to sit back and just ask you. Why is this an area of expertise or area of interest for you? Why did you become interested in really helping clients with constipation?
1: I think the interest starts when we become mothers, you know, when we are um, having a small baby to care for. And I think uh, no matter what has been our past history with bowel movements, it's I think when we become mothers, we start to focus on our babies bowel movements a lot more than we've ever done in our lives. So luckily for me, my baby has never been constipated. She's had regular bowel movements all uh, through her three years now. But what interested me was when I was doing my case studies for uh, my coursework, I started to see a lot of clients uh, one after the other who had a component of constipation in them. And that led me down this research lane into people are now using MiraLax or, you know, these laxatives, which are very commonly prescribed Mm. to children.
0: Movicol is overused. Yeah, Movicol. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And that's actually
0: petroleum-based, which I didn't even realize.
1: Yes, it's polyethylene glycol, PEG, and uh, it's indiscriminately prescribed for even children Mm. uh, when the bottle says that it should not be given to children less than 17 years. Mm. So it's, it's routinely prescribed for you know infants and small children and babies and they go on to develop so many problems with the constant use of this so when i went down that rabbit hole i realized that there are a lot of myths which are being perpetuated right from this time the baby is an infant so it is said that if if it's an exclusively breastfed baby it's okay to go a week without the poop it's okay to have once in 15 days bowel moments because all the breast milk is used up. But I somehow found that it is not true because when the baby uh, starts to go for, you know, a week without poop, it starts to become uncomfortable. There are uh, distress signals that are going out. Uh, it does not feed well. It does not sleep well. And yet this myth is perpetuated that it's common, it's normal to have an exclusively breastfed baby, not food. Um, and that is where I thought, uh, you know, uh, we should have an awareness around this. We should bring uh, awareness to parents that it's absolutely necessary for every human being, whatever the age that they have to poop on a daily basis, because if they are eating something, then it has to go out. And that's how my sort of journey started. And I joined a few Facebook groups. One of them was Parents Against Me Relaxed. And you can hear the horror stories listed there, you know, where children have had such a hard time with pooping. And it really was an absolute shocker for me because uh, I never faced this problem in my whole life. I didn't face it with my baby, but here there is a world of small children and adults who are facing this on a daily basis.
0: Mm. And the word constipation, that's actually something that uh, I think we use with two different meanings, because some people take the word constipation to mean they might have a bowel motion every day, but it's very dry and hard. And some people take the word constipation to mean that they skip a day.
1: Yes. So there are uh, various things associated with constipation. You may be going daily but you have a feeling that you have not uh, voided completely. So there is ineffectual, you know, evacuation. Uh, It's one of the major rubrics, even in our repertories, that you you don't have the satisfaction of eliminating everything. Hmm. Then you have no urge at all. So you, you don't feel like going the poop kind of, continues to sit in the colon and it's not expelled and then you have actual problems with uh, the stool it, it's da- dry it's hard there is pain there is sometimes blood there is a lot of gassiness there is bloating and a lot of unease because stool or pooping is a very normal human activity and it has to happen as easily as you breathe or as easily as you eat but if that is not happening properly then there is a problem somewhere. So constipation is a, a huge, you know, continuum, I would say that it has a whole host of associated issues that come along with it. And it's it's imperative that people recognize that even if they're going every day, and they're still not feeling done with the pooping, then it's a problem that needs to be addressed.
0: Mm, I completely agree. I always joke and say, well, it's not a joke, it's actually serious. A good poop is very underrated. And I think the thing that people don't realize is that the longer that stool is sitting in the colon, the then all of those toxins are actually reabsorbed. All those toxins that have been allocated to be evacuated out of the body are then being reabsorbed into the bloodstream. The body's retaking it up. So you're just putting all that extra stress on your liver. You're putting all that extra stress on your body. And I think People don't really think that far. They just think, oh, well, I haven't gone to the toilet today. But it's so essential to have a bowel motion every single day. I cannot stress that enough. Um, Rukmini, maybe you can start off by telling us some factors that can lead to constipation.
1: Yes. It starts all in, you know, infancy or even prior to that, because what I have noticed with my clients is that if the mother has been having bowel issues in her pregnancy or even in her whole adult life, she uh, does not have the robust gut microbiome to pass on to her children. And, you know, that is where the issue starts. So when I investigate this problem, I always ask how, if especially if it's a child, then I ask how the pregnancy has been, whether the mom has had any uh, exposure to any drugs or vaccines in the pregnancy. How was the birth? Was it a vaginal delivery or uh, emergency C-section? Did the baby uh, latch on in, immediately after birth? Because there is this whole fascinating uh, thing about how nature takes care of us, you know. Uh, When the mother is in the ninth month of the gestation, all the microbes, uh, the beneficial gut bacteria, they all start to populate the vaginal canal for her, which is uh, necessary to inoculate the baby uh, with all the beneficial microbes. And what happens is that nature has had a mechanism where it knows that the mother and the child is a dyad. And so whatever environment the mother is going to be in is where the baby will also live and thrive. So it gives the same set of microbes to the baby as it passes through the vaginal canal. But what happens in a medicalized birth is that the baby is handled by, say, the nurses or the doctors and not the mother in the first instance. So it starts to acquire all that bacteria from the sterile hospital environment. And if it's a C-section, then it loses out on this uh, inoculation of the gut microbiome. What also happens with a C-section is that they don't, you know, if the mother is under anesthesia, then the babies don't get colostrum or the first breast milk and is generally fed formula. So all of these start to, you know, add up and then the baby is not having a robust microbiome. Uh, second uh, problem that starts off the constipation is that children are not fed, breastfed enough. So if, if you're not giving six months of exclusively breast milk to the baby, if you introduce formula thinking that your supply is not enough, then that is where the baby starts to you know show signs of being constipated. The next stage is where the baby is introduced to solids or cow milk you know, um, thankfully nowadays they wait until one year to introduce them to cow milk. But uh, when introduced to solids too quickly, um, that is something the baby's stomach is not able to digest. And that is why you start to see these problems in the first six months or the first one year of life. And if it is left uh, untreated, if there are no steps taken to overcome this, then it starts to you know, it becomes a perpetual chain, which leads to a lot of other chronic issues that start coming up. You see baby eczema, you see rashes, you see cradle crap, all of it, which is associated with the gut, but people just try to wave it off and say, it's okay, you know, we will have to treat it topically with steroids or something else. So this is where the the initial constipation issues start and then if uh, the baby has had vaccines then that damages the gut further if it has a chronic ear infections which are treated with antibiotics that is when the whole gut bacteria is wiped out in, you know in just one course of antibiotics and you cannot rebuild it back soon enough you know it's not so automatic that you pop a pre- probiotic pill and you know just repopulate your entire gut so this is the series of steps that start to create the problem associated with constipation mm, and then you absolutely. see other chronic issues start to develop uh, and the underlying constipation remains untreated
0: yeah and then you know so often babies these days get prophylactic antibiotics in hospitals so you know if they just suspect there might be something wrong they will just immediately go straight to prophylactic antibiotics before that baby is you know hardly even had their first breastfeed Breast. that just a little bit of Gut bacteria that are there then gets wiped out. So it's so tricky. So what are some of the conditions that you see then because of constipation? So you might see like, you know, certain conditions in the clinic, but the underlying cause is actually constipation, which the client might not think about. So maybe you can give our listeners some ideas, which, you know, some symptoms that they might be having right now that they might not realize is actually due to constipation.
1: I see skin problems as a major, major flag or that healing uh, that is needed. So it could be constipation, it could be a bad dysbiosis factor. So anything that is coming out on the skin is because you're not eliminating enough through the normal pathway, through your stool, through your urine. Then we also see uh, children who are constipated don't sweat enough. So the toxins have nowhere to go and they start to, you know, see skin conditions uh, like eczema or later on psoriasis. Any Anything that is bothering you on the skin should be looked at as first a digestion issue. We see food intolerances intoler- and they have cropped up so much nowadays that you have babies intolerant to cow milk, to peanuts, to eggs or soy or corn. A part reason for this is the vaccines because they have certain adjuvants with peanut oil or corn or soy, Egg. which, uh, yes, which escape through the mother's um, you know, through the baby's gut Mm. and uh, start to irritate the baby. So we see food intolerances as a big issue. And later on, we also see mental and behavioral issues with use of uh, certain laxatives. So those are the things that you should be wary of uh, Mm. when you are trying to treat these conditions, these host of conditions. The problem may be constipation in the Mm. first place.
0: Mm. And it's such a big one to get on top of Pretty quickly, because um, I have treated some clients who came to see me because the constipation has gone on so long that the bowel has actually stretched. And stretch. then those stretch receptors, the child or the, the adult then doesn't actually recognize those signals because the bowel is so overly stretched. And then, you know, the hemorrhoids that come with that, they can be bleeding, there can be fissures, cool. so many other um, traumatic things. And um, we, before we started recording, talked about uh, little children and so often they can have a fright which, Absolutely. you know, can lead to the cons. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that, because I think some people, when do they do potty training? That's actually could be quite a big event in a child's life. child's life. So talk to us about how homeopathy, what are some of the problems that you see and how can homeopathy help with that?
1: Absolutely. What I understand is that when you start to toilet train or potty train a child who's not ready developmentally for this, that means you're putting or creating extra stress on the child some, you know, parents start to do it very early on and the child is not ready and they start to get frightened after seeing the poop or the, the flushing sound of the toilet can be a huge trigger for them. Or if they see um the big, you know, uh, empty space of the potty, which can be another traumatic thing for them. So what I suggest is that if, the child is not ready, then the parents hold off on the potty training bit and encourage, you know, the child to be unafraid of poop, make it very normal. Uh, show them that you know. Uh, generally, children will follow the parents around to the bathroom. So mm-hmm. make it very normal for them that this is how it should be, and you know it's very normal to go into the bathroom and poop, and don't make it a big event for them. Recognize if they are sending out distress signals. Another thing that I've observed is that when they are toddlers and they want to control over their environment and. They don't have that, you know, so a lot of times they have to listen to their parents or their teachers about when they should get up and what they should do, what clothes they should wear, when they should go out, when they should stop playing. All of this um, means that they have no control over what is happening around them. So what they in, in turn start to do is start holding on to their bowel movements as, you know, a recognition that I have an autonomy over my body. So I will not poop just because I have that control. So if this is a trigger, then try to, you know, see and address this as well. With homeopathy, um, sulfur, in fact, is a great remedy if the child is frightened of poop. And uh, Alan, in fact, notes it in his keynotes that the child will start to hold the poop in because he's had a traumatic episode of pooping in the past. So once that is addressed, if it, it is indeed a sulfur child, then this fear goes away. And uh, they can, you know, start going back to the potty and not hold it in. So there are some great remedies in homeopathy which address this fear or trauma around pooping. And I would like to give an example. Uh, a six-year-old girl came to me with the constipation issues. And since I prescribed classically and, you know, after taking the whole constitution into picture, I realized she's a silica child with, you know, obstinate and uh, having issues with her nails and the offensive perspiration and of course the constipation. So I prescribed silica and after three or four weeks, uh, the mom came back and said nothing has changed and she's still the same. The poops are still soft. She's, you know, on magnesium or vitamin C. But she still is very much afraid of pooping and she wouldn't go in the school at all. So what this girl was doing was that when she was at school from 8 a.m. until 4 p.m., because she was afraid of pooping in school, she would not drink any water in this time. She would not eat anything from the morning, you know, so she would go empty stomach to the school and continue that way until 4 p.m., when, which is when she came back home and was assured. Uh, about the conditions or the environment, and then she would eat. Uh, so I asked the mom if there is any trauma, you know, that has happened around pooping, and she said, "Yeah, she used to go regularly in school when they had a potty break, but what happened was once she got locked in the bathroom Aww. and she could not come out, and uh, there is this space between the door and the floor, and she had to crawl down from under that and you know escape the bathroom, and from that day onwards." she stopped, you know, going to the school toilet. And uh, that's when it was an aha moment for me. And I said, Oh, this is an opium case perhaps because it's an ailment from fright. And that's um, also associated with constipation. So I prescribed opium and then the fear went away and then, you know, she could go to the school. And then of course, I followed it up again with silica because that was her main constitutional remedy. And, uh, She's doing very well now, you know, it's, it's wonderful. Well, opium is an
0: amazing remedy for constipation. And I've op- often prescribed that when we see constipation in newborns, when absolutely. maybe there's been a very traumatic birth, but, that fright and that shock that's imprinted on the baby's vital force, then they, you know, hold like it's like the uh, rectum is almost paralyzed because that's one of the, the keynotes of opium. And then you give this baby opium and maybe the mama does too if it was a very traumatic birth to her as well. Then, um, yeah, and then everyone's pooping again. Then we're all happy.
1: Yes. And if the mother- <laughs> has had anesthesia uh, mm. during birth and you know the baby seems very sleepy or you know heavy lidded yeah. so it's awake but it's heavy lidded and that's an indication again for OPM that you know you need to consider that for infants who are not pooping well. Absolutely. So opium is an amazing remedy that way.
0: Have you got some other case studies for
1: us? Oh yes uh, I would like to share a couple of them This middle-aged man came to me, he was 40 years old, and his issue was skin rashes. Uh, They would be red and hot and itchy all over. And when I asked him more about it, he said um, it happens mostly after he's had a bath or when he's in bed. So I kind of, you know, did the usual case taking. I realized he's a, a very theorizing kind of a person, very intellectual And he loves his sweets. He would eat a whole jar of jam if he was busy working, you know. So love of sweets was there. And then this rashes and uh, a bit of constipation as well. So I prescribed sulfur for him and he did well on the 30C. The the rashes started to go away. He was very regular in his bowel movements. And uh, we went up in potency. And when we reached 1M, he told me that two days after the remedy, he had an episode of crying. You know, he cried for an hour and he did not know why this happened. To this date, he he doesn't understand or cannot explain why he had this crying bout. And what would happen is that, you know, he would do well on the 30C or 200C and then relapse after a while. So that's why we went up in 1M. And after this crying bout, all of it sort, stopped, you know, it all sorted out and uh, then he came up and told me because this is something patients always do you know they don't tell you everything or the whole story (laughs) at one go Uh, but he told me that he had a mother who was very controlling and uh, therefore he used to kind of hold back from her and the constipation issue actually started from that point on where he had to hold back on his emotions and he also held back on the stool and when that emotion was released that's when the you know, the stool started to get released and uh, the, once the stool was, you know, regular and he, he was not, no longer constipated, his rashes stopped coming and he healed wonderfully with sulfur as mm-hmm. the only remedy. So this was a very, uh, I would say, an aha moment for me that, you know, this emotional well-being is so integral to mm-hmm. healing, you know, or any physical or any issue that happens on the physical level needs an emotional release and healing as well. So this was one fascinating case that I had. Another was a case of a woman who would go once a week. So she said she came to me for hormonal issues. She was almost menopausal. Her periods were disappearing and she would get the hot flashes. But uh, going once a a week was a big flag for me because she told me that on the day she goes, she would spend the entire day in the bathroom, straining hard, trying to you know pass the stool or sit this way or that on the pot and it was you know when she described the whole episode it was so clearly traumatic for her as well um, that uh, I said you know this is something that first needs to be tackled and I gave her lycopodium and she started going at least thrice a week first with that um, after a while she developed some psoriasis because she was still not you know evacuating completely And that's when I considered giving her the bowel no Mm. And they are an immense, immense group of remedies that really help reset your bowel flora. So her history was that her father was a pharmacist and every time she had any sniffle or any, Mm. any small episode, he would pop an antibiotic for her. And she had a long history of antibiotic use. So that's when I decided to give her Morgan Bash and... Uh, she did so beautifully after that because then she started going every day from you know going once a week to going every day was a huge change for her and she started eating well so you also realize that when people become picky eaters it's more to do because of of their gut issues Mm. rather than you know a choice issue It's, it's something that is in the gut that makes them picky eaters so once that is reset and once that is uh, healed, they start to eat better. They drink more water and the skin issues starts to clear up. So her psoriasis completely went away after mm. healing her gut.
0: Amazing. Whenever I hear Balnozos, I just get so excited because I describe them to my... Clients as homeopathic probiotics, they are not because they're actually made from uh, stool. But they are just such amazing remedies, and we have uh, various. It's about a dozen or so individual remedies. But then I know that you also use Ton Yanson's homeopathic yes. detox therapy, and he's obviously got the polybal Plus Nozode, which has got all the homeopathic bowel nozodes in it, plus digestive enzymes, plus yes. Candida, yes. which is sometimes really nice if you're not sure exactly which bowel nozode to give a client. Yes then, you know, we can use the polybell Plus. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In my practice, you know, when I started prescribing classically, um, I used to, you know, be very careful about just one remedy at a time and um, nothing else. But I realized that in the worlds that we live in today, you know, the kind of uh, onslaught that we have on our bodies and minds with, you know, so many factors coming in, um, one way of prescribing is probably not enough and Mm -hmm. you need to detox from certain... Um, elements uh, like antibiotics or vaccines or heavy metals at times to actually set the healing in action. So Mm -hmm. that's when I started to learn more with TON, and I realized that yes this is an amazingly different world of prescribing which uh, gives a better outcome uh, in certain cases uh, where there has been so much damage that has been done and Mm -hmm. needs to be uncovered.
0: So, yes. yes, Sometimes that um that polyantibiotic detox, which we can do through the homeopathic detox therapy, Ton Janssen, it's uh can be really good as well to help restore the gut flora. And also the general anesthetic detox, that can be a really good one. Um, there's there's a few different ones that we can do to really help. Do you know what? I never really thought, like I never really put too much effort. Sorry, this is kind of by, on the side, but in case I don't have a chance to talk about this in a later podcast episode. <laughs> and cause it's fresh on my mind. I did an interview with uh, Anna Vavak a while ago, and she talked about ultrasound and how that as a remedy and using that in the detox series can be really helpful. And, you know, when I take, do a case take, I do ask parents about, you know, ultrasounds and pregnancy, but I never really put too much uh, weight on it. And After that podcast episode, I was like, wow, maybe I should start doing a detox series with ultrasound. And I have just had one of my first feedbacks from clients this week of this incredible emotional release that their child had after the detox. But also they came up in all these skin rashes and this mom had about five or six ultrasounds during pregnancy because there were issues of intra, intrauterine growth retardation, which obviously is the chicken and the egg, because sometimes, you know, ultrasound can lead to intrauterine growth it's retardation. Right. So then once you have it, then they want to scan you more <laughs> to keep it on Absolutely. the baby. But, so um, yeah, I thought that was really fascinating. as my, yeah, one of my first ultrasound detoxes, but as I was very impressed with the results. That's amazing. Um,
1: yeah. I have also noticed that, you know, the birth practices have changed so much because there was no ultrasound when I was born. And uh, over the years, uh, it would be just one or two in the whole pregnancy. But now what I found, uh, because I had, you know, I was in Taiwan for a part of my pregnancy. And this year is that you have an ultrasound every month. So that means you get minimum nine ultrasounds and more if you have, you know, crossed the due date. And that is something I feel that women should kind of take the power back and, Mm -hmm. you know, realize what kind of birth they want and what kind of beginning they want to give their children. Because I realized early on that Taiwan is probably not the place for me to birth my child because I wanted someone who has a more holistic approach. So I went back to India and I had a midwife who was amazing and I was okay, you know, she was okay to use homeopathy at the time of birth and it all kind of fell in place for me because she didn't push uh, vaccines on the baby. She was okay with me opting out of it. She was okay with me using homeopathy throughout my pregnancy and my labor. So I feel all of these bits start to count, you know, when Mm -hmm. you start to look at health overall uh, for children and young infants. So a lot of it is what goes, you know, behind the scenes or what happens prior to the birth that is important.
0: Absolutely. Now, Rukmini, are you still taking on new clients and how can people get hold of you?
1: Uh, Yes, I am uh, working uh, with people all across, in fact, uh, the world. And people can get in touch with me through my email address. Uh, It's rukmini.homeopathy at gmail.com. That is R-U-K-M-I-N-I dot homeopathy, H-O-M-E-O-P-A-T-H-Y at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook page where I put out interesting articles or, you know, I'm doing a series, in fact, now on the most commonly used remedies uh, in our home. I have a couple of articles if the readers or listeners want to check out. They are on constipation, cell salts for constipation, and the most commonly used homeopathic remedies for constipation.
0: Wonderful. Well, you know that leads me into my next question, which is
1: <laughs> just
0: to finish off bit of fun. What are your three favorite homeopathic remedies and why? But actually, for you, what are your three favorite constipation remedies and why?
1: <laughs> um. I will uh, not give you the answer that you're probably looking for, uh, Eugenie, but I will tell you that the major polycrests uh, are a favorite tool that I always use with my clients. So be it calcarea carb, be it sulfur, be it nakswamika be it bryonia, these are all main remedies for constipation. But always when you're dealing with this issue, you have to look at the overall picture. You have to see whether the person fits this kind of the Materia Medica picture. Because too often, if you just use a constipation remedy like a Nuxvamica, it's definite to give you results, but the results are very short-lived. And you will not have the disturbance which is causing is not cast out uh, if you use a temporary measure. So I would definitely try to look at the bigger picture and not just use a constipation remedy. The second uh, set of remedies are, of course, the bash flower, uh, not, sorry, the bash bowel nosos, because they they give you such a big scope, uh, you know, to treat with. So I use them a lot intercurrently if the remedy is not, uh, the indicated remedy is not working, for example. So uh, a bash uh, flower, sorry, why am I coming? Back to <laughs> the so the, the now because, yeah. well,
0: well the, the funny thing is obviously that uh, uh, Edward Bach, who, or the, the, we, people say the, The bark flowers or batch flowers. The guy who started the batch flowers, he actually was the one that pioneered the bowel nosodes. So he first did poos and then he went on to flowers. Mm, So,
1: (laughs) yeah, I know. And in fact, I also use the batch flowers uh, when there are (laughs) issues around fears, you know. So, aspen and numulus are great remedies if uh, the child has a fear about going to the toilet or if she has seen a spider in the toilet and, you know, not going to poop in the toilet after such an episode. So, I I do use bachelors in my practice too. But the bowel noses are an amazing set of remedies that I like to use with my clients, mm-hmm. especially yes, children so. who've had uh, recurrent ear infections or they have recurrent bouts of respiratory infections like bronchitis or mm-hmm. you know lung, lung issues because it's all you know related. The gut and the lungs and the, the skin. skin, it's all, all together. So those are two sets of uh, remedies that... I love to use, but I'm going to uh, suggest one more remedy to your listener. And uh, that is the remedy called Uh Ambrachrisia. This is not a a very commonly used remedy for constipation, but uh, I have a very interesting uh, case, uh, which I want to narrate. Now, the feature of this remedy is that people uh, who need the remedy are afraid to go to a toilet in presence of others. So this is not something that they tell you immediately. But uh, when you start to investigate, like I did for my six-year-old client, she would not go to poop in the school or at a friend's place or, you know, at her grandma's place also. And I tried to investigate. I tried to find out what's the remedy. But somehow nothing came up and I decided to use Amra Grecia for her. And it was remarkable. The, mo- the mom came back immediately uh, a week later and she said, you know what? She's gone to poop in the restaurant, which is never done all this time. So every time we had to go out, we had to schedule everything around her poop wow. uh, times. So this is the first time she's gone. Uh, to poop uh, in a restaurant and then she would not hold back even when she was at her grandma's place because that's where she went after school every day. Mm. Uh, This girl had a traumatic, again, incidence where, you know, she went to a friend's place and she wanted to poop but it was a new place for her and she kind of held it in and there was a lot of painful pain in the abdomen and she was crying and the mother had to go and pick her up from the play date only because she was not wanting to use a new bathroom. Mm. So this is a wonderful remedy for children who are very shy and who don't want to go to the toilet uh, when other people are present. That is something which...
0: That's wonderful. It might be a good one as well, you know, if you are are in a workplace and you don't want to go into, you know, the toilet and you don't, don't want to hear people, you know, Absolutely. you don't want to poo with there, there people so next, many... in the cubicle next door. Yeah. But that's the remedy that's made from the whale. Hey, I can't remember the if it's a whale fat or whale oil or something with a whale. Yeah, the sperm and,
1: of the whale,
0: oh, I think. Yes. And one of the other things that I that I think one of the keynotes or one of the, you know, strange rare things about this remedy is that they almost feel like their poo is part of them, so that almost don't want to actually get rid of the poo it's because it's like poops. getting a bit part rid of part part of, of them. them. Yeah. And yes. this is why we can never get bored with homeopathy because there's so <laughs> many interesting things to learn. Hey,
1: <laughs> absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, Rupmini, it's been super fun chatting with you today. Thank you so much for talking about this incredibly important topic today. And I really hope more of our clients will really consider their bowel motions. And if they feel it's not up to scratch, get in touch with Rupmini. Oh,
1: ah, thank you so much, Eugenie, for this <laughs> opportunity. I feel, as you said, this is not a topic which is widely spoken about. And I feel, especially with children, this is something that needs to be addressed earlier rather than later because it can prop up as a lot of uh, other issues which are not seemingly related, but they are all kind of dial back to constipation. Mm-hmm. So for new mothers, especially, it's important that this issue be addressed And so Mm -hmm. thank you so much. I enjoyed chatting with you. So I I really look forward to listening to all your other podcasts. Also,
0: (laughs) Well, it's such a pleasure. And to all our listeners, we wish you very happy pooping. (laughs) (laughs) See you soon. Bye.
1: Bye.